Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Personal Finance brought to you by Discovery Bank, the future of banking now. Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital, uh, is a personal financial advisor. He's an executive director at Galileo Capital. He joins us on a Thursday night to talk about personal finance. And I remember one of the very first discussions I ever had with somebody as a financial journalist talking about they worked in a bank. I can't remember who they were, and I don't remember the exact circumstances of the, the discussion. But I remember this person very earnestly saying, telling me that when you get to the age of 55, you need to start de-risking. You need to start taking money out of the share market and start investing it in bonds because you need certainty. So when you retire at 60, then you've got absolute certainty as to how much money you've got. uh, And then you can budget after that and be very, very cautious about your money. And this is somebody who was a very senior person within banking, as I remember it. Um, And I just I remember at the time thinking, that sounds a bit weird. Um, And it's something that I think makes your face go a, a bright shade of puce uh, because it's very damaging i think to long-term wealth absolutely bruce um, i think you know advice like that is you know is is really designed for maybe the 1950s you know not 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 the 2020s because you know in the 1950s uh, you know people didn't live that long and so you know if you retired at 60 Realistically, you know, I think life expectancy at that time was probably around 65 to 68 years old. So, so if people were de-risking their retirement, going for certainty, uh, they only really had to worry about a five to eight year period uh, of their own lifetime if they wanted to make sure they had enough income and that that income was was adjusting to inflation. So, so you know, fine, no, no, no problem. But if you retire at 60 today. Uh, there's a very good chance that you you know you you live to kind of age 85, 88 very comfortably, and you know the the, the oldest people in the world are are comfortably in their hundred and teens, uh, and and that would be awful advice, you know, because then inflation just absolutely destroys the, the value of your money. So so all you do with that certainty is you you make absolutely sure you'll never have enough money to to keep up with your cost of living as it as it changes. So then we come to this thing, and it's, it sounds incredibly boring, but it's probably one of the most important things that you have to consider when it comes to uh, your investments, particularly when you're not working anymore and you don't have income. So you are now um, living off your savings, off your investments, and it's this thing called asset allocation. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I, I hate the fact that you call it boring, Bruce. I mean, for me, it's probably the most exciting part of every day of my working life. You know, that, that's peace. because you're a financial advisor and you need a life. Um. <laughs> so, asset allocation, the, the, the mix of I think of it needs your, a better name. I think it need, it, no, it needs a better name. Sorry. It need, whatever it is. I know it's important and I know it's exciting and it's very, very stressful because if you get it wrong, um, you, you, your, your income is affected over the long term. So it's very important. Let me not under, undermine this idea of asset allocation. Until we come up with a better name, we'll keep calling it that. It, well, um, asset mix is maybe maybe another one. You know, to throw in a bit of a cooking terminology in the in, you know in the money show. Uh, so so that combination of your cash, your bonds, your property, and your shares, and and over time, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to get into all the academic studies, but but let's just say that it it accounts for the biggest reason why investors will be okay over their lifetimes or why they won't. 
And it's amazing to watch how, you know, we, we look at the whole financial services industry, especially the investment industry. You know, it spends a lot of time telling investors that, you know, if we're a fund manager, we can we can choose the right share, um, you know, we can choose the right bond, or, you know, we, we can choose the right share at the right time. And so so the one is about stock picking and the other the other is about market timing. And history shows that those two uh, factors, you know, they're, they're nice to talk about, they're exciting, you know, we, we can, you know, come up with great predictions about how the world's going to unfold. But in the real world with real money, th- those two factors make up a tiny reason why your portfolio of money will go up or down over your lifetime. The biggest reason will be how much you're allocating to growth assets. So, so those would primarily, most of our lives will be around shares and and property companies uh, and and so those are the big growth assets in our lives and if you decide how much to allocate to those correctly you you will be financially secure over your over your retired life you, you get that decision wrong and and you you have big troubles and and often the decision how people get that decision wrong is they over allocate money to cash they over allocate money to the the, the assets that provide certainty because unfortunately cash you know, for the last 60 years, cash has given us a, a history of about 0.2% a year above inflation uh, as, a, as a return in our country. Uh, and, and it's equally bad overseas. And, and you know, I mean, you just consider any kind of income tax that you would pay on your, on your interest, and you're probably going backwards with your, your cash in buying power in, in the way that your money can actually continue to keep pace with your expenses. So, so 100%, Bruce, I mean, to, to get that decision uh, right is is really all you have to focus on. You actually don't have to worry too much about saying should I buy you know this bank versus that bank or you know this IT company versus that company. What you should be saying is how much have I got in shares? Is it a nice spread of shares? Great, I, I've got I've got the decision right. And, and to me, you know, people always say, well, what's the what's the right amount for for someone who's living off their their, their capital? And I think it's interesting how retirement fund regulations have actually landed on a number, which I think is not bad. And, and, and that means somewhere around, uh, let's say, two-thirds to 75% of your investments should be allocated to uh, normal shares and, and property companies, both in South Africa and overseas. And I think that's a critical decision to get right. Okay. Shares and property up to 75%. It seems like a huge amount because people, are, again... It, People are just frightened of shares. Um, and you can show people any number of graphs about share performances over the last 100 years. And yeah, they're blips and they're bumps. Um, and there are hair-raising hairpin bends and turns and lots of fear and trepidation. Um, however, um, the long-term trends on most share markets in most parts of the world, most of the time is from the bottom left corner, which is low, um, towards the top right corner. Yep, and and you know it's fascinating how how I think um, I've, I heard someone say today that he he thinks South Africans uh, South African investors are suffering from PTSD post traumatic stress <laughs> uh, b- because we're we're so battered by you know local events, local politics, local economic events that are going you know have been going badly for so long. That uh, you know any kind of news that comes past our, our radar, we we immediately assume it's going to be bad. And if it is possibly good news, we we, we change the lenses of our glasses to ensure that we view it as bad news. Uh, and and so you know, just interesting to look at uh, you know the, the the average sort of balanced fund in South Africa. What's it done? You know, I take your point that that a lot of people would view 
you know, 75% in growth assets as risky. But but over long periods of time, you know, a, a balanced fund will will deliver a return probably around 8 to 10% a year over a 10, 20-year period. It's certainly what's happened over the last 10 years. Uh, and, and if you take the last 10 years, you know, we, we haven't exactly had a, a glorious president with fantastic economic policy for most of the last 10 years. We certainly haven't had, you know, corruption-free, high-growth, market-friendly, you know, policies for most of the last 10 years. And, and still, an average balanced fund is delivering a, a return of 8% a year. And, and that's the important point to understand here. We're, we're, we, you know, we can get really depressed in uh, about one or two years of, of bad performance. Uh, similarly, we can get really excited about one or two years of great performance. But actually, we have to take you know, our, our kind of nearsighted glasses off and put our farsighted glasses on and say, okay, what, what are we looking at over the long term? And over the long term, you know, a good balanced fund, a good balanced mix of assets in a, in a retirement fund uh, will we'll deliver the, the right amount of growth for investors. And, and if we look at w- what's going on now, uh, you know, I mean, even, even over a five-year period, which has been really tough for, for South Africans, you know, ba- balanced funds delivered about 6% a year. I- I'm not saying it's great growth. Uh, in fact, it's fairly uh, pathetic, but, but it's still 1.5% a year ba- better than inflation. So, so it's important to know that that mix of assets is really critical and keeping a, a balanced mix of assets in the worst times and the good times is what gets you through through the, the mm. kind of the rocky times, and and I think that's really the the key message in a in a time that we're in now. You, know, you think of a lot of retired people, uh, you know, who are shell shocked by by bad returns, and then you know add add a pandemic to that, uh, and and it's just a a really horrific time to to try and be a rational, sensible, you know, calm investor. I mean, I I get that, but and and so people are asking now, what do we do? And in my view is. You know, if you've got a living annuity, for example, make sure it's in, in, in a balanced portfolio. And then by all means, when the RAND is at 1451 or whatever it is at the moment, you know, co- consider changing your, your, your living annuity mix to, to make it 50% in South Africa in a balanced fund and then have it 50% offshore in a balanced fund. I, I think that's a great mix for most South African retired people or, or people that are just okay. kind of financially free already. If you've got lots of money, sure, you know, allocate a bit more overseas. And if you've got a bit, if you've got less, then maybe allocate a bit more to South Africa to get certainty of your income. But but I think that asset mix is possibly the most important thing we we can do with our our investment money when we're living off it. Well, I think I mean just if, at any point that anybody takes away from us this evening is just understand that you need to have long term a bias towards shares because it's the only way you're going to grow. And if you're growing your your assets at an average of eight percent a year, um, and you are using let's say four percent of your capital, if you if you're drawing down four percent of your capital every year, at least your assets are growing. Um, uh, on yeah, over time, you you're not, yeah, you you are you're not uh, you're not diminishing the pot, um, because you may live to a ripe old age, and that's a big risk. Uh, absolutely, and and I think just my, my my last little piece of good news on that is you know telling people I think we've we've probably been saying it on the show for the last three or four years. Now just be patient; the tide will turn. Uh, and it's interesting to note that over the last year, the tide has started to turn. Now we were seeing the JSE up over 50%. You know, yes, I know it was from a really low um, base in March last year, but still, it's you know the JSE is up. Yeah. Balanced funds are up just as an average over 16%. So we are starting to see that that patient investors getting some rewards, and and I have no reason to to think that won't carry on for a, you know a year or two or three. 
There we go. Warren Ingram. A question for you coming up in a moment, Warren. And this comes from Lou. Lou has come into some cash. Lou has sold a flat and wants to grow the capital over the next six to nine months because Lou wants to put down a deposit on a new house. Uh, but Lou's got a problem because Lou looks at deposit rates and Lou thinks to Lou's self. I don't know if Lou is Louis or Louise. I don't know, but Lou. Um, and Lou is going, I need to get as much growth out of this money as I possibly can in the next six to nine months. So what Lou thought to themselves was they would make it your problem, that problem, in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. So, Warren, what is Lou's solution to the problem? It's, we don't want to lose-lose. We want lose to, Lou to win. Uh, Lou has got capital, wants to grow it over the next six to nine months before putting a deposit down on a new property. How does Lou get the best possible return and make sure that Lou doesn't lose money? Yeah, Marcel, uh, um, I love the question because it's such a tricky time frame, uh, you know, to invest money. When, when you look at... Uh, Money market unit trust at the moment that they're probably delivering, uh, you know, interest rates of around four to five percent a year, and, and so you know if you're investing for six months, that means you you know you're going to receive a healthy sum of three percent growth on your money for for that time, and and as Lou correctly says that that's nothing, you know, that's just uh, that, that's going nowhere, uh, and I think it's a, a kind of a really frustrating time frame, and especially if it's a big chunk of money, you know, if you've sold a flat, that's I, I assume it's a big asset for you. Uh, I get the the need to try and find a way for it to grow and work as hard as possible before you put it down on the next property. My, my concern is, you know, you know, I see Lou saying, you know, how about an aggressive exchange traded fund or aggressive investment? Uh, so, so just to talk that through, an aggressive exchange traded fund means, you know, something that that can potentially give you, you know, fifty percent growth in a year or you know, fifty percent over three or four years which would be fabulous, you know, really lovely if that, if you if it works out perfectly over the next six to nine months. The problem is that an aggressive fund, the other side of the aggressive fund coin is that it comes with, with an equal amount of risk. So let's just say you put down your million rand that you got from your flat, you put it in, into a nice aggressive ETF, and what happens is the tech sector in America falls over. And all of a sudden, all uh, aggressive funds, which will be mostly overexposed to the tech sector, suddenly lose half their money. Uh, and that's not a fiction, you know, that, that's something that's happened consistently over the last decade or two, especially in the tech sector. Uh, and suddenly Lou has lost and Lou decides, you know, that they can't, Lou can't now put, put down the deposit on the new place. So, so I think, uh, unfortunately, Lou, uh, you, you're going to have to bank the money into something and buy the certainty that we've, we've been talking about, uh, you know, so disparagingly before. And, uh, and in this context, Certainty is a really good thing because if you've got an expense that's a known and, and, and your time frame is six to nine months away and that's the certainty and you know you need to put down a fixed amount of money, then you cannot afford to take any investment risk because you could see that investment just fall over. Uh, and so unfortunately, Lou, the answer is you know, go and shop around for a good interest rate at a bank. Maybe if they you know, look at their fixed deposits, look at the money market rates. Uh, see where you can get the best interest. And, and unfortunately, you're going to have to make do with that. Um, and then just don't forget that, uh, that at the end of Feb, um, SARS is going to also ask you to pay some tax on that interest, unfortunately. But, but that's the best you can do. I, I don't think you should be taking any kind of investment risk with that money over a short time.
I couldn't agree with you more. And, and look, we don't know Lou's personal circumstances, but I'm wondering why Lou is sitting on the sidelines of a property market. If, and again, we don't know at what level Lou is wanting to buy, but we do know that properties in the region of up to price points of up to 3.5 million rand, prices are going up. You know, if you put money into a fixed deposit, say you've got even a million rand and you put it away at 6% in a, a super duper. I don't know, fixed deposit for nine months. I don't know if you can get 6%. I suspect you might be able to if you if you fish around hard enough. Um, let's say you do that. Um, that 6% may not make up the difference between a property, the property that you like today versus the property that you're going to be asked to buy uh, nine, 12 months from now. Um, why not just get straight into the market and, uh, and, and, start, uh, and start and buy the property, I wonder, um, is, my, is my question. I mean, is that an unreasonable question? No, I think it's a it's a fine point. You know, I think at the moment, you know, most people would be buying properties with bonds, and most of the time, you know, you know those bonds will be at, you know, maybe ninety percent of the value of the property. There are very few people that will be putting down, uh, you know, a very healthy deposit on a on a property. So, in loose situation, if that if that amount of money is is significant. It means a couple of things. One that that uh, that Luke can negotiate a, a very healthy mortgage uh, interest rate with a bank, so they can go. You know, Luke can get a a good low cost, um, low interest loan. And and secondly, uh, you know, yes, uh, you know, it is becoming a buyer's market. Well, um, a little bit of a buyer's market. But the point is, lots of these offers are subject to me getting a bond. You know, and and, and the point is, if you've got a nice big deposit, your certainty of the bond is much higher. So, so I think to jump in is is a good thing. I think it, it, it unless it's a property development that Lou really wants uh, or something yeah. like that. I, I mean, I, I can't see the reason to stall. Okay, good. Thank you, Warren. And then finally, what is R E T? Oh no, R E I T. I was all excited that we get to talk about <laughs> economic transformation, but you want to talk about REITs, um, which is a a, pro, a real estate investment trust. Um, which is what most companies that own properties that are listed on the JSE are nowadays, or all of them, aren't they? Uh, close to all, not not quite all. So, so the difference between a, a property company that you know, just a normal property company, and a REIT, is that a, a REIT is required uh, in terms of the way it's listed. It's required to to pay out a minimum of seventy five percent of all of the income that it earns in a year. To its investors, so if it's you know if it's making a, a hundred million rand a year in rental income, it must pay out a minimum of seventy five million rand to those people who own the shares in that REIT. The the balance of the of the income can be used then to 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 kind of fund you know development of properties or you know like keeping maintenance or whatever the deal is. But but that's a critical difference between a REIT and and a normal property company, which can decide every six months. How much um, income it wants to pay out to investors, and unfortunately, even REITs, uh, you know, in, in the in the whole lockdown scenario, had to actually stop. You know, quite, quite a few of them just didn't pay any income at all. But uh, but, but but yeah. So so what, what is a REIT? A REIT is a, is a way for investors to to buy property businesses, but but with the greater certainty that they'll get the bulk of the of the rental income paid to them for for their income needs. And I think you know it's, it is really designed for for people looking for income that should track inflation and that should give you some capital growth over time. Sadly, uh, you know REITs are not immune to to big market and economic events, 
And what, what we've seen in the last couple of years is property companies in South Africa losing somewhere around 50% of their value. And, and a lot of them, you know, paying nothing or half of the, of the, of the income that they, that they normally pay. Let's hope that that cycle's turning now. We're seeing more and more REITs starting to pay out an income again, but most of them are saying, sorry, you know, we're only going to pay out about half yeah. this year. We need to see how, how COVID unfolds for, for the rest of this year and, and into the start of next year. But in general, quite a nice place to get a, a, a decent uh, income that's more than what you can get in the bank. Thank you, Warren Ingram at Galileo Capital.